Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Hi, my name is Stan Pons, and I'm the host of Make It Clear and the president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Thank you for listening to the daily Bible teaching here on Make It Clear. From time to time, I want to bring to you Bible teachers and friends from seasons of yesterday and today who had a great influence in my life, hoping they'll add value to yours as they did mine. Well, today's guest Bible teacher and author is Dr. Mark G. Cameron. As a young boy, he came to faith in Christ through the ministry of Billy Sunday, and then later in life, he worked side by side with W.B. Riley and the Northwestern Bible Schools in Minneapolis, and then with Lee Roberson at Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga. Then Dr. Cameron became the vice president of Florida Bible College when it began in 1962. Did you know he was one of the most popular Bible teachers at Florida Bible College because of his love for Jesus Christ, his love for the Word of God, his love for Jewish people, founding Seaside Mission to Jewish people in Miami, and of course to all of us as students. We'll never forget his love for his beloved wife, Miss Mary. I learned Bible doctrines and hermeneutics from his class at Florida Bible College and from his books. And today, my friends, I am happy to have you listen to one of his past messages, and hopefully you'll be as blessed from it as I was. But here's my guest today, Dr. Mark G. Cameron. We turn over here to Revelation, the first chapter, Revelation, the first chapter. Now, as we get into this wonderful book, did you know this is the one book that God promises to bless those that read, those that hear, and those that do the words of this prophecy? And this is one book that we are all in all, we say, oh my goodness, I can never understand it. Well, it's so easy if we just find the little points in here. I remember years ago, Ms. Cameron and I, just by the way of introduction, uh, gone, uh, come back from Minneapolis to Chattanooga, got a church there. And so uh, I learned uh, how, therefore, to get a pastorium. Let them select. And I said, your pastor will live in any home that you purchase. And so they purchased one. But they did not have a big furnace there. They had a big old circulator. Remember that years ago? And so they would come bring the coal down, put it in the basement. I had to take it up by the scuttleful. And that was the coldest house in this world. I tell you, we couldn't keep warm. It was cold in February there in Chattanooga. And so the uh, latter part of February, they're going to have the uh, Women's Missionary Society meeting. And I says, Mary, be sure and invite them over and have it over to our house. She said, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we invited the women over for the missionary meeting. They nearly froze to death. They got a hold of their husbands. We had a big furnace there <laughs> in the next week. You know, that's the way to do it, you know. Uh, and so, but this is what we found out about that cold down there in the basement. I went there at one time, and the cold, my wife said, you all see that cold they brought in today. They're boulders. And I went down there, instead of being the egg kind that we wanted, it was the hugest boulders in the world. I said, well, I had to get this axe, and I'm going to have to chop this thing up. And so that I can put it in the skull. So I got the axe, and you know, it flew everywhere. Uh, and uh, it got in my, it stung, you know, everywhere all over me. I said, now, a better way can do that. And so I just looked at that, and I could see the grains of the coal there. And I just got me a little screwdriver. And I got me a hammer, and I just went there in the scene. Pump, it went like that. Those big old boulders just came apart so easily. And I went there, and then all I had to do just put it like that. Did you know the Word of God is put together the same way? If we can just find the seams. 
Well, most of us go against it, you see, and we can't understand uh, how to, to rightly divide. The book of the Revelation is the revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the coming of our Lord is in two phases. When he comes for his saints, that's the rapture before the tribulation. When he comes with his saints, which is the revelation. Now, if you get those two phases, all of the second coming of Christ, but there are seven years between the both, you'll find out Christ comes for his saints in the air. He comes with his saints here upon this earth. The majority of the book of the Revelation is when Christ comes with his bride here upon this earth. Now, when you get that, that's one little key there. Now, to get this Bible and find out how this book is known, look at the 19th verse, and you have the key to the whole book of the Revelation. So simple here. Write the things which thou hast seen, that's the past, and the things which are present, and the things which are to hereafter. Now, there's your three points of the book of Revelation, past, present, and future. We'll get here just a moment in this first chapter, and that's the things that he has seen. Well, you look over here to the fourth chapter and the first verse there, and you'll find out the things that shall be hereafter. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as were of the trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So therefore, if chapter 1, and we're going to show what he had seen, and then uh, that's the past, and beginning in chapter 4, the thing's going to be here after the church is there. Then there are chapter 2 and 3, bound to be the things that are present. Isn't that easy? All right. Now we go over here, and we just want to see about our adorable Lord. Look at the seventh verse of the first chapter. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all they which, and all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, uh, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Right here we find this is the revelation of our Lord. Not every eye is going to be able to see the Lord or the saints to go up to meet him at the rapture. Some people say, won't they be there? Brother Cameron, how about the graveside? And uh, they're, they're burying somebody, and about that time the grave's open. Won't they be able to see the saints go up? They're going to have to look mighty fast. Amen. For it says, in the twinkling of an eye. Not the batting of an eye, not the winking of an eye, but the twinkling of an eye. That's fast. you know that? Uh, and uh, we, we find out this, they will not see the Lord anyway. At the rapture, that is, unsaved people, but they will see him when he comes here to establish his kingdom here upon this earth. Now we find this is the Lord speaking about his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm Alpha and Omega the beginning and the ending, the A and the Z, we say of the alphabet, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, I am now and I was, by that I died and have a resurrection, and which is to come, the Almighty. This name here, which was, which uh, is and is to come, is attributed to Jehovah. The very word Jehovah is the Eternal One. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Right here, the Lord is saying, I am Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty manifested in the flesh. I am He. Now he says this, the Almighty. In the Old Testament, we get to the Hebrew, we find this is one of the dearest terms of God. Now as we go there, we find the word God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is Elohim in the Hebrew, and it's three. That is three in number. 
In Hebrew, you have three. Singular, one. Dual, two. Plural, three or more. In the beginning, Elohim, a plural noun. Three created a singular verb. In the beginning, three in one created the heavens and the earth. That's, that's God. That's who he is. The putter forth of power. That's the word Elohim. He, that's the office of God. But now his personal name is Jehovah. And where you find that is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or all capitals G, capital O, capital D. In the Old Testament, whenever you find that, that is Jehovah, the personal name of God. Have you ever seen capital L, small O-R-D, or small L-O-R-D, or small L-O-R-D-S? That's Adonai, mean master or owner, all attributed to our God. The office of God is Elohim. Now, in this word Elohim, we have what we call Eloistic combination. And one of them is El Shaddai. And this is where we get the word the Lord God Almighty. The Lord, or I say God Almighty, or the Almighty God, El Shaddai. When people get into this and they begin to see the beauty of the words, and more, more music, more poems have been made to this title of a God than of any of the rest in the Word of God. He is El Shaddai. The word El is a singular form for Elohim, meaning God, the office of God. The word comes, Shaddai comes from the word Shad, a woman's breast. So here we begin to find the breast of God. We find out also it is used as the nourisher. It also means that he is the satisfier. Oh, another term I love so well. He is the God that is enough. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, when we have the Lord Jesus, we don't need anybody but him. But Oh, isn't it wonderful that we are complete in him? It's, it's not Jesus and anything else. It's not Jesus and good works. It's not Jesus and baptism. It's not Jesus and the Lord's Supper. It's not Jesus and, uh, and anything else. It's just Jesus. Oh, we are complete in him when we are born again, when we accept him as our Savior. He is the satisfier. He is the nourisher. He is the God that is enough. Oh, my. my. Someone's come to me and said, Brother Cameron, you're too much of a Jesus preacher. Amen. Oh, I have nothing but Jesus. How about you? I would never know who God was unless I knew Jesus. And I, since I've known Jesus, I know God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. All right, now let's go on to the ninth verse. I, John, who also am your companion... And, and uh, brother, in tribulation. Now, here we find, oh, so many things. I don't know where we're going to get to the message that I thought the Lord wanted me to have or not. But you see this? In the tribulation. What? In the tribulation. Look in your margin. If you've got a Schofield Bible, we use the old one around here. You'll find out it says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation. We used to have a man that school at Temple, he said, I've got a verse that the fundamentalist can't answer. And says, I said, well, tell it to us so that we can answer it, you know. And uh, he said, oh, it is, it'll tear everyone up, and so I just don't give it. Well, I found out this is what the verse. It's not hard. What do you mean? He is their brother and companion in the tribulation, right then and there. Brother Cameron, do you believe the church shall go uh, through, uh, into the tribulation? Yes. Do you believe we will go into the tribulation? No. 
Come on now, you've got a, 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 a crazy kind of an answer. You say we are and we are not. That's right. It depends upon what tribulation you're talking about. As far as the seventieth week of Daniel, seven years. As far as Jacob's trouble that is to come. Whether it's the last three and a half years of that tribulation, known as the Great Tribulation, of course not. That's Jacob's trouble, not the bride's trouble. What would you think of a man, and I have to say this to my students here, oh, this is the Florida Bridal College, you know, and they get married all over this place, you know. And I, and I says, you know, what would you think, young lady, this man that asked you to uh, marry you? And you said yes. And you come here to one of these, the red room here, or the uh, regent room there, and you get married. And I says, you have your reception, and away you go in a shower of rice, and he takes you about five miles down here to the holiday a hotel for the, your first night of your honeymoon. And, and when you get there, and, and just as soon as he carries you over the threshold, he, he locks the door, and then he says, I want to show you just how much I love you. And then he knocks your teeth down your throat. You said, that is crazy. It sure is. Then he'd take you down, knock you down, drag you out, and then take you by your long hair and just just take you all over that floor. What are you doing? I'm showing you just how much I love you. Well, you said, that's a crazy thing. That would be the same thing if the Lord would send his bride into the tribulation. Oh, that's Jacob's trouble. That's for unbelievers. I'm a believer. How about you? <laughs> you know, so, some people says. That God many times chastises just to show us He loves. Many times, you know, when when things start, I say, Lord, I know You love me. I know it. I know it, Lord. Don't have to show me through that kind of a. <laughs> oh, brother, I get it. I certainly do. But you know what? The idea of putting the bride in the tribulation at all—it's Jacob's trouble, not the bride. But I want you to know that we are in the tribulation now. He said so. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation. Not Jacob's trouble. Not the seventieth week of Daniel that is to come. Not the great tribulation. Not a bit. For the word of God says, God has not appointed us to wrath. That's not talking about hell. That's talking about tribulation. But to obtain salvation, deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 4.10 that we're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ who would deliver us from the wrath to come. That's not talking about hell. Listen, I was delivered from hell the moment I believed in Jesus. But I'm looking for the second coming of Christ who's going to take me out of the tribulation. Well, now, what are you saying now? Now, this is it. If we could just find in the Word of God that there are three tribulations, we would never get mixed up. I'm seeing premillennials get back and say we're going part of I never will forget that when I was operating on many years ago, one of my former uh, teachers said, I am uh, reclassifying all my studies of prophecy, and he put out a book. I got operated on, and here came George Wilson up there in Minneapolis, my, my best friend, and gave me that book, and it said, The End. Well, you know what? Uh, he brought me another book and says, Dead Man Tell Tales. I said, now, stop that right now. Well, anyway, this man had a book called Out on the End. Now, he said, I've got a new revelation. We're going through half of the tribulation. Then, after that the book got going, he came out and repudiated that book and said, he's got a new revelation. We're going through it all. My goodness. Give me what a man writes at the beginning of his ministry, not so much what he has at the end. It seems like when he gets a little bit older, he's worked himself, he thinks, into the Trinity. And he begins to, to, to tell God how, how the Bible is supposed to be written. You know that? 
I heard a lot of these guys get up and begin to say, now this is the way it is, not that way at all. Now this is the way what God really meant. Have you ever heard any man say that? No, God didn't mean that, or he said so. Now, now, now here. Now, now God has, lets us know that we have been delivered from the wrath to come. And we're looking for the Lord Jesus to deliver us from the wrath to come. Not hell, but the tribulation. But you said we're in the tribulation. He says, I am your brother and companion in the tribulation. Well, where in the world do you find another scripture here? Now, keep, look here. I, John, also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Shall you turn with me over here to Colossians? We have the very same thing. Colossians, the first verse. Over here in Colossians, we have the very same thing stated. Here by John, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And over here in Colossians, by the same Holy Spirit, but through the Apostle Paul, around 30 years difference. Over here in Colossians, we begin to find out about what we're in now, the kingdom. Now, we're not in the millennial kingdom as yet, but we have a kingdom. This is called the kingdom. Will you look there at the 13th verse of the first chapter? Giving thanks be for Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The son of his love is the correct uh, translation there. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. John says, I am your brother and companion in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Now, what about that tribulation? Okay, look at the 24th verse now. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul is in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. He had been to Colossae on many occasions, or several occasions. We know this, that uh, there was Onesimus, that he led to the Lord a runaway slave. And uh, we know that he sent the man back with a one chapter that we find right there uh, after the pastoral letters. And he writes back to this man, a very wealthy man, to receive him as he would the Apostle Paul. Now, he was never put in prison for preaching at Colossae. Colossae is in Asia Minor. He was never, never put in prison there. And how could he be suffering for them when he's nearly a thousand miles away? Five hundred to a thousand miles away. Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the affliction, philipsis. This is the word that we get, the word tribulation. He says, who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the tribulations of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill or complete the word of God. Now he says, I am suffering for you. Did you know it's the nature of the body of Christ to suffer today? This world is not our home. We're just traveling through. The Word of God says, Our citizenship is not here upon this earth, but in heaven, from whence we look for the coming of the Lord Jesus, who shall change these vile bodies, that they may be fashioned like unto his most glorious body. See, our citizenship is in glory. And being away from uh, our home, and from our land, and from uh, our citizenship, we found out that we are in a strange place. We are told that this world lieth in the hands of the wicked, 
and should be wicked one. The prince of the power of the air, this is his. And we know that he corrupts government. We know that he told the Lord Jesus, said, and after the Lord Jesus in a moment of time upon that mount saw all the kingdoms of the world, he said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you, for they are delivered unto me. This world, the world system, is corrupt and is in the hands of Satan, and we are bound to receive kind of terrible treatment when we are not in our own land. And so we are not citizens of this country, of this, this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. But now listen, it's going to be the nature of the body to suffer. Just begin to read the Word of God, beginning with Romans. And all the way through the epistles, and you'll find suffering, 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 suffering. It is the nature of the body to suffer. As the head has suffered, the body is going to suffer. The Apostle Paul even tells us that as the body is one, and all members are members of that one body, so are we of the body of Christ. And that not one member of the body can suffer without all of the members suffering with it. And that one member cannot be glorified or receive honor without the whole body receiving honor. Now, we find out this, that we're in this world, and it's appointed unto us to have persecution. All that live godly shall suffer persecution. The Lord Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. So here we find that this church that we're in, the body of Christ, the overall body of Christ, we are members of that body in particular. And we find out that the Holy Spirit has given us, as the hand has one gift, this hand has another, this eye has another, so he has given to us, every one of us, to have a gift. Now we find that we are to glorify God, but now in this body, the body of believers, this body is subject to persecution, it is subject to tribulation. This is what is called the, what does he say? The affliction of, and we have the definite article in the original, the Christ. And the word affliction should be tribulations of the Christ. Here it is plural. In First Thessalonians it is singular. The tribulation of the Christ. We're in it now. We're not going to be delivered into it anymore. We have not had our marriage consummated as yet. And when that marriage is consummated, no more tribulation for us. Now, the Apostle Paul says, I am suffering for your sake. What do you mean? We're not suffering. We're not suffering for, for the Lord Jesus in America to some uh, greatest extent. But let me tell you, at this very moment, there are some members of the body of Christ that are suffering great persecution and tribulation. Right now, they tell us that in Israel, and oh, when you get there, you don't find any revival. You don't even find revival, get this, of Judaism. You have the revival of Zionism. You have the revival of government, but you don't have any revival of religion. Eighty percent of them over there are atheists. That's the, their own statement. Very few synagogues. Oh, that's in Israel. And you know, the report came out a little over a year ago by one of the leading uh, Jewish boards of America out of Chicago saying this, that the man has spent there nearly a year, and to his best knowledge, he has found only 200 Christians among the Jewish people in the land of Israel. 
You just don't hardly find them. All that's persecuted. They allow no missionary activity to the Jews. They're allowing Christian activity to the Arabs, but that is coming down little by little and being eliminated. What are you saying this? There are some wonderful people there in Israel. Time before we went there, two times before we went there, some of our people written to Dr. Michelson says, can you give us any names of people there in, in Jerusalem especially that we may uh, talk to? He gave them the name of two people. And this lady, he says, oh, Dr. Aaron, if I knew that you had been a missionary to the Jew, says, very few people on my trip and on, on our tour, we had combined several of the tours together, so they just hate the Jews. And I was a, I just went by myself. I didn't want to, uh, to take anyone with me that hated the Jews, but says, I called on this elderly couple, and they began to tell me the plight of the few Christians in Israel. Then they took me, she says, to see a woman from India. She's Jewish. You could tell she was Jewish, but she, she had the, the paraphernalia of a woman of India, and she could speak English, and oh, how she glorified the Lord. But she said, they are living in a cave. They have nothing to eat. The government will not even subsidize them in food as they're doing the others, because they are Christians. We found that out on two families that we led to the Lord Jesus, young people who went over to Israel about six years ago. And when they went there, they wanted to become citizens so they could go ahead and become missionaries to their people. They had to prove that they were Jews, and they did so. But then uh, they said, what religion do you have? And they put Christian. They said, we have just had the Knesset, that's their parliament, to, to make this law that any Jew that has embraced the Lord Jesus Christ in Christianity in any way cannot become a citizen of Israel. That's the law of return. And you read it in their magazines and in their papers. No Jew that has accepted the Lord Jesus can become a citizen of Israel. Some of them, that 200 got in there before that law was made. But let me say this, persecution, they know it. I remember when many years ago, 20 years ago when this came to my, my attention about the, the body of Christ, the tribulation of the Christ, which is his body, we were fighting the North Koreans. You remember how the North Koreans came and nearly overthrowed us and everything? Oh, what persecution the South Koreans got. They had had go forth to China there many years before, and they had never gotten over the revival there in, in South Korea. Tens of thousands of converts there were standing true to the Lord. But oh, when the Northern Koreans came down communists, they began to take them out and slaughter them by the hundreds. I never will forget one of our young men said, Brother Cameron, you talk about the body of Christ suffering. How about those in South Korea right now? Oh, nearly every preacher or Bible teacher that they could catch, they executed him immediately. Now, let me say this. Some place in this world, the body of Christ is suffering. Paul says this, listen to this, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He says this on other occasions too. And fill up that which is behind, that which is lacking on your part, of the tribulation of the Christ, in my flesh for his body's sake, 
which is the church. Isn't that, isn't that just as plain as can be? So we're in the tribulation of the Christ right now. When we go up, the 70th week of Daniel began, that is the tribulation period. Then we know when the Antichrist sets his throne uh, in the temple there in Jerusalem will begin the abomination of desolation. And the Lord Jesus said this is the beginning of the great tribulation. There are three tribulations. We're in the tribulation now, but we're not going through that other. John, who is your brother and companion in the tribulation. Let's go back there at the beginning again. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in, in tribulation, in the tribulation, the kingdom and patience of the Lord Jesus was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God. Some people said he went over there to get the word of God. I believe personally that he was there because of the word of God's sake, because it was a penal institution. He was sent there because he preached the word of God and for preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So, oh, brother, that's, I heard so many people say that's where everybody should be on Sunday, the Lord's Day. But, you know, Sunday was not called the Lord's Day until 300 years later. How to the Seventh-day Adventists are on this score. What he's really saying, I was in the Spirit, here you go, the Lord's let me say, in the day of the Lord. Ah, now we got the key. We got another key here. God's going to show us the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord will begin according to the 14th chapter of Zechariah when the Antichrist surrounds Jerusalem and then goes and places himself into the temple to be worshipped as God. says this, I was in the Spirit on the day of the Lord and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and which thou seest write in the book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamos, and Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. We find here all what we call the seven churches of Asia. The Lord's allowed Dr. Stanford and uh, me to uh, see these four of them. Lord willing, if I go on another trip, I'd like to go and take in all seven of these and also take in uh, Babylon and also uh, Rome and uh, uh, Athens in, in this wonderful biblical trip here to see all of these seven churches. Now, here they are, seven churches of Asia. And when it says Asia, it means Asia Minor, Turkey today, O Armenia. And says this, And I turned to see the voice of him that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Better word, lampstands. Little lampstands. I brought several little lamps with me. If I didn't have the lampstand, the lampstand was just about a foot high, but they put the little lamps on. So I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. The same thing we find in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, the very same thing. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Brass is a type of judgment. And we find he has white hair, shows to be a judge. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And uh, laid his right hand, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. I am the one who is and was and now shall be. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And they have the keys of hell, Hades, and death. 
Some years ago, many years ago, old Dr. Mordecai Ham came to Chattanooga, and we young people there, poor any of us got married, just turned us upside down for loving a prophecy. I never forgot, I was a member of Highland Park Baptist Church at that time, and I went to our pastor, and we said, we young people here would like for you to teach us the book of the Revelation. That's after Dr. Ham left, you know. And the whole town, um, 12,000 by card, had trusted Jesus as their Savior. 6,000 of them had joined the churches. So there was a revival all over town. Oh, he said, I'd be delighted. At the time, I was leading, singing there on Sunday night, and my, we, we could hardly wait to have my Bible down there, and he got right in here. And he got on there and began to say that he saw, saw uh, the seven uh, lampstands, candlesticks, and saw the Lord Jesus in the midst of them, and he had seven stars in his hand. Oh, I said, come and tell us. Tell us what that is. Just tell us what it is. And all of a sudden, he began to hem and haw and talk about the book of the Revelation being fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem, 70 A.D. How in the world could it be fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem, 70 A.D., when it wasn't written until 96 A.D.? And also, he said, right, the things are going to be hereafter. Isn't that crazy? Well, well, I didn't know all that, you know, but he began to say all this. He got us so lost, we didn't know where we were. He got lost, too. And he says, tell you the truth, I don't know what it's all about. He said, let's just, don't preach on Revelation tonight. Let's just preach the gospel. That was the first and last message I ever got on the Revelation for a long, long time, you know. Never got it. Well, what in this world are the seven lampstands? And what in the world are the seven stars in his hand? You know what? We Many times I've been to meetings where men begin to wax eloquent and oh, they get more amens. You can get more amens for error than you can for truth. Do you know that? And oh my, they get up and begin to go. And when they stop, I feel like getting up and say, read the next verse. Read the next verse. If you do that, how, how easy to become. If that man had just read two more verses, he could have told us what it is. Write the things which thou hast seen and things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery. The word of God, wherever you find the word, of course, mysteros. Means a truth revealed for the first time. Dr. Woodbridge says, a truth not revealed until the proper time. Same thing. The mystery of the seven stars. I'm going to show you something that had never been known before. The mystery of the seven stars with thy source in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Isn't that easy? Seven angels means deputy, ministers, ambassadors. In other words, the seven pastors, okay, of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are candlesticks which thy source are the seven churches. Good. Now, there he is. We see seven lampstands or seven candlesticks, and we find the Lord Jesus right in the midst of it. And if you get to your Scofield Bible, the other kind of Bibles too, you can find out this, that in Asia Minor, these seven churches made a little wheel. And the Lord Jesus is in the center. He's the hub. And he has the seven pastors, the seven deputies, the seven ambassadors, the seven ministers of the seven churches in his hand. What is you get, what are you getting at? The seven churches represents all of the seven, what we say, types of churches. Everyone describes seven local churches. They just, they describe seven types of Christians. And we find out that the Lord Jesus in the center, in other words, the local churches revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be the center. The object of everything, we cannot get away from him. We get away from the hub, we're gone. And then the seven stars. 
are the seven ministers to the seven churches. What is that? I remember I went to the same pastor when I knew the Lord has called me into the ministry. I went to him. I said, Doctor, I believe the Lord's called me into the ministry. Oh, don't get in it. Don't get in it. I said, what's the matter? Now, this was during the Depression, you know, when I was saying, thinking back, going, oh, he said, Mark, brother Mark, haven't you been reading the Baptist and Reflector? That's how, the state paper. I said, no, sir, I haven't. He said, they just made a statement last week that there were 500 churches. And there were 500 pastors that needed jobs. For the life of me, I couldn't find out why that 700 or 500 pastors couldn't find it, their place in those 500 churches. But he says, you know what? We got more pastors we know what to do with. Don't get in it. My goodness. I can't remember. I thought the man was going to rejoice with me, you know. But you know what? When God calls you into the ministry, if God does it, I'm not asked to, uh, saying this if you're called by grandma. Or you're called by seeing a shooting star. Or, or, or therefore that you uh, have a ha, ha, got a new vision. And Brother Cameron, don't you believe in visions today? Oh, yes, yes. I, I had one on the trip. You did. Too many hamburgers with onions on them. Amen. <laughs> uh, I got that kind of a vision. Amen. We got it all right here. Amen. We got the precious Word of God. Well, let me say this. If God calls you to be a missionary, He'll have a place for you. I just love that. That thing, uh, scripture reading, when we talk about heaven, and we're told this, that we have a place reserved for us in heaven. You know what it means to go to a hotel and not have any room? There's not going to be any uh, signs in heaven for rent. You know, that'd be awful. These people who work for the Lord for 20 years and think they can lose their salvation, then lose it, you know? So mansion's going to be begging up there, if that's so. But no, we've got a place reserved. It's not going to be overcrowded. And there's a place prepared for everyone that is born again. Oh, you get it. God's placing His hand upon some of you right now. You may never have gone to a Bible college before. But he has his hand upon you. Let me tell you, get into the hand of the Lord Jesus. He's going to place you just where he wants you. Thy will be done. I believed if a man was called to be a missionary to Russia, the doors would be open. I'm like Jonah. Jonah was called, you know, to go to Assyria, Nineveh. And I've read... Oh, in the last few years that Assyria was the most cruel people in the world. No wonder Joan didn't want to go. You know, if the Lord comes and say, Mark, I want you to go over there to Russia. I want you to get over there on Red Square and let them have it. You know, the Lord would really have to give me a vision without hamburgers and onions. Amen. But you know what? If God should ever call it, he'd have the place open. There's a place for everyone. The Lord Jesus places his ministers into his places of a point. You don't have to worry. There's not too, too few places open. Oh, 500 preachers without pastors. But there are 500 churches that needed pastors. Let me tell you, God's 
has you in his hand and he's got a place for you. It's just for you to say, thy will be done. Don't try to choose your place. Let God say, this is it. Seven types of Christians. Seven types of local churches. He had something against all of them, but two. The church of Smyrna, which was a church that had endured much suffering, martyrdom. And the church of uh, Philadelphia, which means the church of brotherly love. Nothing against them. He says this about the whole seven churches. I know thy works. I know thy works. He says that seven times. He is omniscient. Our blessed Lord, God manifested in the flesh, knows everything. He tells five of them to repent, to change their mind, self-judgment. That's for Christians. Repentance is for Christians as well as for the lost. Then we find out, blessed is a man that does this and so forth. Then it says, he that overcomes, I will give this. And it says, for all of us. The church of Laodicea. We believe, not only does it describe, therefore, one of those different kinds of church, one kind of Christian. But it also depicts one of the period of church history that we are living in right now before the coming of our Lord. The Lord begins to say this, I know thy works. Thy statement that thou livest and are dead, you have plenty of wealth, you lack nothing. He says, you are neither cold nor you hot. I would that you were cold or hot. But because you are neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. What, what is he saying? You make me sick in my stomach. Years and years ago, when I was right out of junior high, I went up to a little town, Mulberry, Tennessee, and we were going to do some frog gigging. I, I've been a city boy, never gone frog gigging in my life, you know. And some of you saying, well, what is in the world frog gigging? That's catching frogs, amen. <laughs> and so we went out that night, you know, went on this branch, and we could hear down, down the branch, broop, broop. They said, there's a bigger. And we go there and place the flashlight. Then we had our gig. We get him, put him in the toe sack. Boy, I, I never saw so many big green frogs in all your life. And so it was about 11 of us boys there in this big contract farmhouse. And uh, being a city boy, I didn't know what to do. So that some of them says, now some of you are going to have to sleep on the pallet. I didn't know what a pallet was, you know. And the, I said, what's that? I said, we're going to sleep on the floor. Oh, I said, I, I, I won't have to flip. I'll take it. Crazy. Boy, I learned right there. Boy, that was the hardest floor in this world. It never got uh, uh, soft. And then it began to rain in the night. And brother, oh, I wanted to change with one of those boys on the bed so bad, you know. But I endured to the end. But you know what? I was so, so excited about going to eat frog legs. I said, can't we eat them tonight? I was hungry, you know. No, we're going to have them for breakfast. So you know what? We had cleaned them that night. And you know, you, you've heard about frog legs jumping out of the frying pan. Well, they do quiver now. They surely do. They, those old things were just quivering there in the icebox, you know. And you never saw such a oh, pile of frog legs in your life. And I got excited. Whenever I'm going anywhere, going to do something different, I, I can't sleep. And so, about 4 o'clock, I woke up. I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about those good frog legs. They said it tastes better than chicken. I couldn't wait. Well, you know what? All of a sudden, we heard them getting up, and they begin to cook, and oh, that smell. Oh, my, the frying of those frog legs. Oh, the greatest smell in this world. 
Mm, how, boy, and when they succumbed to breakfast, I went there and they had the best milk gravy over biscuits, you know. Good night. And the eggs, all the eggs, but frog eggs. I, mm, mm, boy, give me another. Mm, and I just nearly sucked it off, you know. I, I don't know how many I ate, but I guess it was six, seven, you know, big old. I was young then, big old things, big as a chicken leg. And so when we, we said, well, we're going home now. I said, okay. So we had old Tin Lizzie and got in Tin Lizzie, me and my cousin. And so we drove up in the front of the house, and his house and his mother's on the front porch sitting and swings. I just saw her get up. She went on the inside, and when we came in, she said, all right, boys, come back here. I, I said, what's mine? She says, oh, you boys are sick. Were we ever? Oh, I felt like that those old frogs were flipping in my stomach. <laughs> She said, come on back here. She said, I could see when you got out of that car, you were both kind of blue around the gills. Come on back there. So she said, I got something for that. I said, okay. And I went back there. You remember when they used to have peanut butter way back in the Depression for 25 cents, big old jars this big, you know? Well, she had big old jars. She said, take this. And she took it off the range there and just filled it up with tepid water. And, oh, she said, drink it all. I said, okay. I drank it all. Oh, it felt so good. She said, would you like some more? I said, yeah, boy, that's just what I need. She filled it a half again. But back that second, I said, watch out, watch out. And I ran out the back door. I got rid of the frog legs, brethren. I tell you, you know what God's saying this? Right here in this world says, you are not doing anything for God. You're neither cold nor you're hot. You're lukewarm. You're making me sick in my stomach. That's what Jesus is saying. Oh, may we get hot or cold for the Lord Jesus Christ and not be classed as one of the Laodiceans, but may we be classed if the Lord should call upon us to be a Smyrna, to die for Jesus, or as Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, to live for Jesus. And he said, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut, for thou hast a little strength. Oh, praise the Lord. The open door that no man can shut in the hands of the Lord Jesus that he will place me. Oh, it's so great to be in the perfect, direct will of God Almighty. I know thy works. If you're a Sardis, if you're a Pergamos, if you're a Thyatira, Laodicea, Repent. Change your mind. That will lead to a change of action. Change your mind. This is not the way. Get on fire for the law. Ask God to take over. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Be willing to go where he shall lead you. Place yourself in his hand. Anywhere, Lord. Anyway, shall we pray? Father, just want to thank you. Oh, how great thou art. Lord, what, what a blessing it is to be in thy directive will of God. Lord, we know what it means not to be. We know that thy word says, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Thank God we can know the will of God. And we're saying with all of our heart, thy will be done. Bless in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to Make It Clear and to today's special guest, Dr. Mark Cameron. My name is Stan Pons, and I'm your host and president of Florida Bible College. If you'd like to know more about Florida Bible College and how it has classes on campus, online, and even on site, please visit our website at floridabiblecollege.com. That's floridabiblecollege.com. We're also very grateful for all those who support Make It Clear. It's through your prayers and financial support that we're having such a local and global impact with the truth of the gospel that so clearly states salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Well, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and you would like to be a part of helping us get this message out to others, you may send your gift to Make It Clear, Post Office Box 607 901 Orlando, Florida, 32860. That's Make It Clear, Post Office Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Or you can go to our website, makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org and use the secure donate link. You may also request your free devotional called The Word for You Today. Well, thank you so much for listening today and be back next time for Make It Clear. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.